You are listening to The Boss, Business of Surgery Series, Episode 55. It's no mistake that this episode is going to air on Thanksgiving because I'm very grateful for my nurse practitioner. Today, Dr. Seaworth and I continue our conversation sharing the things that we value in our nurse practitioner and physician's assistants. I hope you enjoy this episode. For more information about BOSS, the podcast, the podcast guide, and information about coaching, go to BOSSsurgery.com. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. This is a great way to transition to this idea of working as a team and as a system and, you know, what other people around us can help us do uh, in a day. So I know we've talked a lot, uh, you and I, uh, on the side about physician's assistants and nurse practitioners in our practice, but take us through a little bit of your experience of using a, a physician's assistant in your practice. So initially it started when I first was brand new baby in practice is for trauma call. That's really when you first start just at our institution, the trauma call is so onerous and we don't have residents to help. And so you could get, you know, 20 or 30 consults and it's just you. That's too much. That's a lot of work as you're also doing surgeries to handle. So the PAs were kind of brought in and they were used to help see consults, help retract, be your first assist. And they really would take call with us just like a second year intern resident would. And they were just getting beat down. And that was too much because to be fair, that's not what they're signing up for when they, they're they're looking for a little bit more of a lifestyle than if you went to medical school. So we worked really hard and we were having a lot of burnout turnover. So we worked really hard on making call schedule better for us, but for the PAs too. So then we started hiring a orthopedic uh, night float kind of person that worked the overnight shifts. And there are some people that want to work that shift. So that kind of helped took, take away the overnight Um we also changed the call schedule for us. But then just as a private practice, um, as your practice grows, you start to um, have more people that want to see you in a faster way than you can handle. And you start getting all these, well, I need to work in because of this, because that day is not convenient for me. Or, oh, it's hurting a lot. And I've had this problem for seven years, but it hurts a lot. Can't you just see me today? Um, not like, I don't know why it wasn't important six weeks ago, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing that you just start getting phone call after phone call. And as most physicians are people pleasers, you, it puts stress on you, you know, and I, I will get sometimes four or five requests a day and it, it kind of just lit, raises your stress level. So PAs kind of are brought in a lot of times, if you think about it for two reasons, as somebody quoted to me recently, a CPA actually, that was helping our institution with financials, that you either have a lifestyle PA or you have a widening the funnel PA. And I think I have a little bit of combination of both. Lifestyle, I think, helps you um, make your day shorter. Um, it helps you not stress as much. It helps take some of the burden off you of some of the things that you don't really need to be doing or kind of distracting you. Um, kind of taking away from your workflow. Like every time you get that phone call, like, oh, this patient needs to see you or, oh, this patient, you know, they, they, you know, I don't know, some, you get lots of crazy requests, but um, my PA helps so much with, he goes through the box of questions and he handles all that. And then, 
you know, obviously when you start, you go through every single question with them all the time and they slowly take over more and more as they go. So it leaves you to focus your mind on what is most important and to work um, at your level and not below your skill level and letting him, you know, work and cover the things he can as a team, which is super, super important. I love that those two um, different branches of there are widening a funnel extender or a um, lifestyle extender. And I mean, how true is that? And I too um, have, I have a nurse practitioner and she's doing both for me too. It initially started off with widening the funnel, you know, increasing access. But now I, I realized, you know, what I want to do is start buying my time back. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's first start talk about, you know, widening the funnel. You, you mentioned already that, you know, by widening the funnel, the patients have a little bit easier access to the system. And it sounds like they have easier access with someone taking messages um, and also like uh, seeing a lot more consults. What are some of the other ways that, that you have found your uh, physician's assistance to widen your funnel? Um, widening the funnel. I think that, um, he has easier availability just as, you know, you know, physicians become busier, their wait times to be seen in clinic get a lot longer. You know, it can be four or six weeks to see me. And if somebody, um, stubs their pinky toe and has a broken fracture, like there's no reason they need to wait. Like he, he will say, Oh, this person needs to be worked in. I'll see him tomorrow patient calls. And is like, ah, my drain, you know, my wound doesn't look right. Or my cast is too tight. Oh, come in while Dr. Sears in surgery, I will see you, or I'm going to squeeze you on the schedule here, you know, or sometimes I'm in over by the smoky mountains and he's in West Knoxville. We are literally, you know, an hour apart and he has his supervising physician over there and I'm over there and it allows us to be in two places at the same time. And we coordinate back and forth through clinic. And I look at all his x-rays. He looks at mine we talk and it just, it just really opens the funnel because we're providing access to clinics that are farther out instead of in the city, we're going to the patients, which is really nice. I agree. And it really lets you maximize the time that you have for me. Like if they call now, uh, you know, a visit for me is going to be in two weeks, but they'll say, or you can see my nurse practitioner in a couple of days. And, you know, we see clinic together typically. So if something needs to happen, then I just like look over and, and I'm there. So they get easy access to me as well, but it doesn't, I'm able to actually at least double my clinic to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think like one of my clinics I have with them, but just the way our schedules work, but so like on Mondays, we're in clinic all day together and he's right there seeing him. So we, so people were worried out coming on that day and we pop in and out all day. And then on Thursdays, um, I'm in one place and he's in another and we flip-flop every week. So we're providing different care, different weeks. Um, I think that like, just like you said, it gets the patients right in and, um, you know, it obviously doesn't start that way. It takes about six months, I think, and, you know, or so until they're able to start doing some of the very easy visits and feeling comfortable on their own. I think it takes a good two or three years to really have them all the way trained where they start really knowing all the nuances and can think at a very high level. Um, in your specialty. I think there's a, a great point because uh, I too started um, slow. She started you know, seeing clinic with me and we were very, very tightly together. Um, and now that she has a lot more expertise in different areas that I need her to help with, then she's a lot more independent in those particular areas. And it's definitely been a process 
Um, and I think that speaks to the biggest you know, pitfall that that you have with these extenders and the biggest criticism that you have of extenders is like, I am sending someone to see you, a surgeon, and why are we seeing an extender? And I know that that is a criticism that the providers have and patients may have. And so how do you improve on that pitfall? Well, I think you also have to remember that at one point you were a medical student and then you were an intern and all those little things and you just get graduated responsibility just like they do. I think that I think the message coming from your appointment team is very important. It's, it's very important for them to be strong and to just set expectations. And like you said, there's a big positive for seeing the extender. I've seen extenders because it worked with my schedule and they've been great. Like I don't need to be self-treating myself. <laughs> like I just, you, you know, when things are more simple and when they're not. And so like for a surgeon, I just think there's just a lot of nuances that are beyond the scope of what other uh, specialties know, and they shouldn't have to know all that. And that's why I think that they're so important, you know, and you start them. And I think they're great too, for post-op care, because that's not, it's part of your 90 day uh, global. And that allows them to do the wound check. They can talk to, talk to the patient about how to take care of their wounds. And I think that's just something that your time can be better spent counseling the patient that just found out they have breast cancer instead of telling the patient how to take care of their wound by doing a dressing change. It allows you to really give time to the patient that needs you the most and not spend time doing the things that they, they don't really need you for. And I really loved your concept about, you know, us being the authority of what the patient needs and how we are there for the critical aspects, the the decision-making, the operative experience, and some of these visits that require some level of specialization that are not at the top of our license. We don't actually have to do those. We've now Mm -hmm. tasked it with someone who's highly trained, but it's at their level too. So we're maximizing their use and uh, maximizing ours as well by making sure that we're doing the surgeon stuff and they're doing the things that assist the surgeon stuff. Correct. Just like you would, um, you know, a lot of things come in that need physical therapy or they need the right shoe wear in my department, or they just need to be kind of encouraged along that they're on the right path, that this will get better, you know, listen to. And my PA is great for that. Like he can really, there's a lot of things that are non-operative in my world. Um, but like, I don't expect primary care to know all the answers and to understand all the nuances. That's my job but that he's perfect for that. And I've really taught him that. And he helps and he's, you know, they develop the sense for when they need help, you know, and obviously there's good PAs and there's bad PAs, but there's good doctors and bad doctors. And it's kind of the same, same flow. I completely agree. And I think our relationship with them is probably the most important aspect of it too, is that for them to know that we empower them to do a lot of these things. So they feel like they are actually working at their level of expertise, but they also realize what their limitations are and what the advantage that we have is, you know, providing the experience. I know sometimes my nurse practitioner gets frustrated. She's like, how did you know all this? And I'm like, I would hope that through all of these years that I would yeah. you know, got something, give my experience some credit. <laughs> Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's interesting that you say, I think another great thing for the, for the patients though, too, is that like, you know what, at some point we do go on vacation, we're out of town or there's an emergency and my PA knows intricately, like how my brain works, how our clinic works in a way my partners don't. And he is able to provide great care when I'm not there. And we help support each other. So he has good quality of life, but it allows me to have good quality of life and to decompress. And so I show up as a better doctor um, for my patients. I completely agree. And um, 
and I can provide care all the time. And so my PA or my nurse practitioner is now seeing some patients when I'm not there that don't need the decision-making of a surgeon, but um, it's on the day of my surgery center day where I have very short cases and it's across the street. And Mm -hmm. so if she needs me, I'm usually can get there uh, pretty quickly, but I had someone call and say, Hey, I know you're not on call, but can you take care of this for me? I sure can send them to the clinic. You know, my nurse practitioner will start and, you know, I'll head over in between my case. Mm -hmm. And so I am, am able to be available through all business hours, even when I'm doing other things, um, which is a real benefit in business. Huge. Yes. Now, looking at this um, idea of, you know, what do they offer us in clinic? So I know that with um, widening the funnel, that does increase our amount of money that we can make. It doubles Mm -hmm. our clinic and it also, they bring in money. And so what has been your experience as far as the financial aspects in clinic with a physician's assistant? So obviously it all depends on like what your specialty is, but they are generating income next to you while you are generating income too, as well. They are seeing patients. So like I happen to be in a specialty where you have to see a lot of patients to get a surgery because there is so much non-operative care in my surgical specialty. So that just helps like bring them through the system, I guess, faster. Um, so they're, they're opening, he's opening the funnel And like I said before, a lot of patients, uh, their first visit is therapy or an MRI or working on shoe wear. And so he gets that going. And then when they come back in, we know if they've failed conservative care, it's all been documented. So when they come in, they are ready to go one way or the other. And he's already started to have that conversation with them. So it's been that, that, so I'm seeing somebody for one or two visits instead of four or five. So it really helps. Um, some doctors will do the philosophy or they flip every other visit with their PAs. And we kind of try to do that, but sometimes it just doesn't work out like schedule wise for the patient, or sometimes the patient loves my PA or sometimes they love me. And so sometimes it doesn't do that. Um, but it, or sometimes like he's in clinic on a day when I'm in the OR and that's the day the patient wants to come in and they're fine with that. Like they, the patients develop relationships with the PAs just like they do with us. And, uh, as long as, and they, 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 they will come to me and like, they were like, gosh, he was so good. He knew everything to do. He explained everything to me really nicely. Um, and they'll be very complimentary. They really like those visits. And I think that, you know, I don't, I may see, I used to see honestly like 55 people in a day, but now I see 40 to 45 and he'll see 20 in a day. So he goes at a slower speed or like in between patients, he'll pop over and help me, or he's answering phone calls. Um, but so now 65 patients are coming through our doors and I'm also, I don't have 55 charts to dictate when I get home, I have 40 and (laughs) I'm scheduling more surgeries. So yeah, if I saw 65 patients, would it be more income? Probably, but that's the lifestyle part. Right. And, um, there's a, there's, I'm still generating more revenue. He covers his salary and it's, more relaxed and it just helps me be a better doctor. I completely agree. You know, winding the funnel um, in the first place is I noticed this when I signed all the notes that I did not have to write. I think when yes. I sat down one day and I co-signed 50 notes, I'm like, holy cow, that's this a ton is of worth time. it. Yes. This is worth it. <laughs> yes. And I leave the clinic with my notes done or mostly done, you know, very few times am I leaving now having to do a lot of notes. 
And, you know, these are people that were able to book more surgeries for too, which is where we get a lot of our income generating too. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of non-operative things as well um, and taking care of a lot of breast cancer patients as well that I, I prefer to see. So there's a lot of things that, you know, will really expand on the funnel is the, you know, doubling your clinic time, increasing the amount of cases that you can do. And so this is why I think it may be a little bit difficult to figure out the exact cost that they're giving you, but yes. certainly- Um, I think that when you look at the time and the effort and, you know, the ability to see more in a day, they're making us more, (laughs) making us more money than we think. Yeah. And I think one of the things too, is that it's scary when you first get a PA, because that's not a small salary that you're bringing on. That's a huge salary. Like really that's the biggest salary you could bring on unless you brought on another partner into your group and they do lose money in the beginning, but because they're training, they're going behind you. They have to learn how to dictate notes. So I usually have them start with very simple, like post-op notes or a very straightforward, like patients doing great last visit or, you know, simple fracture, you know, things like that. So they're not generating a lot of income in the beginning while they're learning. So it is very, you do take a loss up front for the gain in the back. And I think too, you know, like, you know, it is very hard to know how much they generate, right? So if I'm having them see post-ops, they're not getting paid for that, but I wouldn't get paid for that either. So they're doing work that's not really accounted for. Um, And then, you know what, maybe while they're seeing my post-op, I'm seeing a new patient that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. So you have to really look at your overall between the two of you, your overhead between the two of you, your reality is, is that your charges go up because of them, I think, Um, or you're doing the same amount of your, or, or you're like staying at the same level of charges, but in less time. What, and so it kind of just depends on where you want to go with that. So you get a, a mix of opening the funnel and um, also uh, increasing ancillary income to you. But the other thing too, is you talked about your breast cancer patients, right? Like foot, my patients are not cancer, but they go through a lot, like being off their foot and like lifestyle and not working for several months, things like that. My PA goes in and he goes over all their post-op instructions. It actually allows me to be a doctor more. Like I get to come in and hug the patient and listen to how they're excited about their grandkid doing this. Like it actually has let me get more of a relationship with my patients having a PA than when I don't. Cause like when I don't, I have to be very focused on the basics and the bare bones. And it's let me enjoy being a physician more again, too, because I get that relationship with the patients that I crave. And the um, non-monetary aspects are so helpful too. you mentioned too, it it makes us more accessible because we're not so stressed out. We're not rushing around. Um, You know, we are just going in and doing the doctor related things that are necessary, um, like with our level of training And, you know, at the end of the day too, I find myself not so tired and exhausted because I don't have, you know, two or three hours worth of notes that are not, um, you know, that are unpaid work to do those many hours too. So, you know, really looking at the monetary, but the non-monetary aspects uh, can help you decide if this is something that's worth it to you. Yes. And some people start to initially um, sharing a PA. That's how I did. I shared with one of our trauma partners. And so she was with me like on my huge clinic of the week. And then she was with him the other, you know, he's a very senior partner. And uh, so, and then at one point, like I just got busy enough that I was able to sustain my own and she went off with him and I hired her another one. So that's a good way to do it too, is if you have a partner that you could split it with to start. I completely agree. Um, And 
an easy way to find some of these uh, physicians assistants and nurse practitioners is to have them on as students. And then you can see how they work and, and see if there's a good fit. Um, you know, so I'm, uh, will help a lot of the, the PA schools um, where I'm at um, with training. So that is a good way to find someone. Um, if you're Excellent. Concerned. Excellent way. We have a lot of our PAs, our PAs actually are their teachers. So the PAs take the responsibility for teaching them, which that may, I don't know if that you do that at all yet, but as they come and then, but you get to work with them and you're right. You get to see who's good and not good. Um, it's amazing. Very quickly. Um, you'll be like, Oh, this one's a winner. And like, I'll pull them aside about once a year. I'm like, Hey, if you want to do ortho, here's our practice manager. Here's our card. Let us know. We've gotten some like great PAs from that. Other thing to remember is if you, um, I mentioned earlier, sharing a PA, I have two points more about like just relationships with your PA, actually three. Um, one is that nobody has taught us how to be a boss to a PA. And it's a different relationship than with your office staff and with your colleagues, because in a way we expect them to function like a resident or a med student, but they are not. And you have to remember that um, they are interested in medicine. They want to work hard, but they've chosen that route for whatever reason. And it's important to remember generally for a lot of them, lifestyle is a key for the first year or two. They're okay, but you cannot burn them out. So that's one point Two, If you do share a PA with somebody, um, there may be favorites. Yeah. Or, uh, so remember that careful balance, be very careful balance. And then third, your PA is a marriage. You will spend more time with your PA than your spouse. Mm-hmm. And so pick carefully. <laughs> um, and, and that's really hard because you have one or two dates, uh, with an interview and then they're, they're on. And just like <laughs> you said, uh, Amy, that, uh, that, uh, you know, it can help having the students come through. Cause then you get a little bit more idea, but they make that joke. You're a combination of the five people you spend the most time with in your life. And that PA will be one of those five, usually the number one, you spend more time with your spouse. So uh, it's important to have good, good wor- working relationship. And that's why I kind of brought up that other point. Nobody teaches you how to be their boss. So it's taken me, uh, I'm on, I'm on my third PA and, uh, I even didn't have it great, but I, when I stopped being a people pleaser and it actually helped me be a better boss to him too. And actually my second PA has now come back to work for me a little on one day a week as well. And it's been, and she's been super excited um, to come back and I burnt her out. So, <laughs> but she's back. We have very well, clear, defined <laughs> boundaries. And, uh, she's super excited to be back. Cause we both really enjoyed working with each other. It was just like, I was in that new building, my practice phase, like all crazy hours. And so just remember there's lifestyle expectations. They're not like, they will work hard for you. They don't need, you know, nine to three, but just remember there's lifestyle expectations and to respect those. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you. Like what such great points that I've learned the hard way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nobody teaches us. No. And, it, and it's those two things. And this is, you know, obviously what the, the whole premise of this and all my coaching is, is these, you know, how to be a boss is about relationships. It's about the marriage that you have at work. And we have to be the ones to establish the, the, the boundaries 
we have to make sure that we are clear on what the boundaries are so we can communicate it to them and then also follow through on it and not violate the boundaries that are really in place with the agreements that we have between us and um, to respect them and understand that they have their own desire to be good at it. So we can't rob them of that by not letting them be good at what they do. We have to let them have some free reign. Um, but then we also, you know, can't throw them in the deep end and not support them either. And, you know, some of these folks, especially that are really high level and achieving will do really, really well, but they still need support. They still need to know that we're checking in with them and not because we doubt them, but because we value what they want and we want them to succeed. And that involves, you know, us collaborating. And so I think the biggest mistake we make, especially with delegating is, is we kind of like dump something on them. And especially, especially if they're good, then we have to check back in with them because it's so easy to, to give them a task that they're good at and then leave them alone for it. Now they're alone by themselves and wondering if we care, if we're interested. And I've learned this recently of to, to check back with my high level folks on my team and say, Hey, I'm just checking in to see if you need anything. You know, I just also want to let you to know that things are going really well. And, you know, do you have any concerns or questions and things like that is, is really kind of, you know, circling back and checking with them. And it's, just like that marriage, you know, showing appreciation to your partner and saying, you know, I see you, I see what you're doing and I'm here for you if you need it. Yes, very much so. And encouraging them to speak out because like in our system, in our practice, uh, on the trauma system, they come in on nights, that's where they start. And so they're already a little bit nervous. They don't want to wake us up. So I just had a new, uh, uh, it's a nurse that worked on the ortho floor, went to nurse practitioner school. And then she's been trained with us for about three or four months. She had her first solo night and I was on call with her for her first solo night. So I called her to check in with her about an hour after she started, you know, after she'd had checkout from the daytime team, we talked through kind of everything going on. And then I said, Hey, always call me. And she's like, thank you. You know, just always reminding them that you're an open door. Completely agree. I know that we've talked about this, this idea of adding people to our team and, you know, using the surgery center. This is all kind of based on rethinking everything in our practice. A lot of this that we've been talking about is how we rethink our practice and how we try to be more efficient and thinking outside the box. And what are some of the ways that you think that we can improve just in general in our practices? Um, I know a lot of things we've already mentioned, but is there anything else that you think that that needs to change in medicine? You know, in regards to rethinking practice, I think it's important to remember that things keep changing. You know, when I entered medical school, I'd never heard about private equity. You know, I'm not exactly sure when they came on the scene, but that's a big deal. And we're trying to hire several new partners now, and none of them, they all want to make sure they stay away from private equity practices. And, and what does private equity practices mean? What do you mean by that? So private equity will come in and try to buy your practice. And generally they give a ridiculous sum. And the senior guys will love it. Uh, I think those within a couple of years of retiring will love it because they get a huge buyout. And it sounds, from what I've been told, very sexy at first. Um, but then really what private equity comes in is that their job is to make a profit off you. And they generally will try to resell the practice within four to six years. So they come in and start you know, skimming the cream off the top. And they try to whittle down every little area they can to decrease cost. Um, I know a local group in town that was bought out a different, a different specialist, different surgical specialist. And so now all their appointment schedule schedulers are in another state. They're not people they know. They can't call them up or go over and be like, Hey, you know, um, maybe if you get this phone call next time, this is more how we would handle it. 
you know, they're just, they just, it's a big call center that's for all those group that covers all the groups owned by that private equity. And they say how much vacation you take, like we're in private practice for a reason. Like, yes, it's higher risk, but higher reward. If I take vacation, I'm still paying for all my overhead and my employees. But you know what? If I decide today on a Sunday, I don't want to go to work this week. I can cancel it if I want. It's not good for practice and building business but I can, you know, and so I have that flexibility and private equity makes you employed. They're trying to make money off of you. They're trying to cut down costs as much as possible. And I think in the end, that doesn't work out best for patient or provider. So I think that's something to watch out for. Um, that's a really great so, point. Cause I yeah. mean, you know, the, I, I feel the same way too. And it kind of echoes a lot of things that we were saying too, like the decision to have a nurse practitioner or PA is a big financial one. And if you are there by yourself and solo and, and you want to take on this expense, you know, it, it is a little overwhelming, but as a private practice, you can do that. I can choose to do that. Mm-hmm. But you know, what we lose with some of these uh, private equity firms and the bigger that they are, what you trade is finances for loss of choices, just like you mentioned too. And, you know, remembering why we went into private practice is helpful, you know, to have the ability to make these decisions ourselves, and to have the ability to have choice on both what we choose to do during the day and who does that with us, um, you know, to be able to choose these relationships and understanding that these private equities, the bigger that they are, you'll get more financial benefit from them. But the only way that they can stay big is to have onerous rules that, that basically control the people so they don't have to because they're so big. Right. And then you get this big payout in the beginning and then they cut your salary. And so that's why it's great for the senior guys who may have a lot of power in some groups, depending on how the group structure is. But then, you, you know, you're basically like hospital employed, like hospitals buying practices. It's great for the first contract. But then after that, they're like, oh, you're not meeting all these metrics. Sorry, this is all the more we're going to pay you. Oh, and you have a non-compete, so you can't leave, you know, like things like that. So um, I think you know, and then academics, um, I know people in academics may think people in private practice, but we are working, we work hard and we do try to stay at the very top of our game because we want to provide really good care because that's how we keep going in private practice. We don't have the backing of the big institution necessarily behind us. We have to provide really good care. That's just as good. Um, because it's, it is a business and it's a consumer driven business in a way more than it used to be. So I think that you just have to remember to work smarter, not harder. Remember that things keep changing. Um, The uh, CPA that just talked to our group last week said he thinks there's going to be a big shift away from doctors working for hospitals because hospitals have been paying doctors a lot more than they can afford. So he thinks that's going to be a big shift coming up, but we'll see, you know, who knows. Um, But so we've really just tried to be nimble and figure out other ways to work smarter, not harder. So now we, have real estate investments. We buy our own, you know, our own buildings and our own land. And so that's making us money instead of paying rent. We are, in, you know, investing in surgery centers, which is a big financial risk up front, but a huge reward. We're combining as a group more um, in our group that was already together, but we're just, you know, realizing we need to kind of put, put our personalities aside and become more united. And just thinking like our, we have urgent care centers or walk-in clinics now in all our clinics. That's a big thing too, that really generates new patient visits and new patients to the practice. Uh, and that's scary too, when you start it up, cause that's a big cost having a PA and x-ray tech, uh, front desk, um, 
but it generates DMA. It generates x-rays. It generates new patients to the practice. It generates surgeries. And so once you get it up and running, it's uh, also a moneymaker, but there is a, but patients want access now. Like they want to come in and talk about their knee that's been hurting them for three years. And they will come to the walk-in clinic, the injury clinic, because they're ready to go ahead and talk about it now, but just being nimble and adding services because it is more consumer driven and understanding that you can't treat it. The private practice is so different than when I started 10 years ago and it just keeps changing. And I think that's the most interesting aspect of this is that, you know, it is changing so much. And just like you mentioned too, um, I I talked about this on a previous podcast episode uh, with reimbursements decreasing for physicians, you know, we see this in private practice and everyone's like, oh, this is why private practice isn't going to work. But, you know, at some point it's going to hit the hospitals and the hospital physicians and things like that. And that we cannot be oblivious to all of these changes. So all of these changes in medicine and the ability to be nimble and understand the system and to diversify our interest um, and is really important for all of us. And this is the whole premise behind the the boss series, which is we aren't taught this in residency because there's really no time and space necessarily. Um, But this is what this is for is the ability to be nimble. And uh, I just finished Adam Grant's book, Think Again. And I think that if we get trapped in the, this is the way it's always been, we're going to get surpassed by all these changes coming, coming about and being aware of them and having the ability to utilize us being physicians. I mean, we are at the ones that generate the clinical income. And if we use all of the skills that we have learned, all these transferable skills, and we now take an interest in our own career and what's happening, you know, with the patient experience and the, um, our own experience. I mean, I think this is how we change medicine too. Very much so. And I think that goes back to the surgery center and the walk-in clinic that I was just talking about is that the patient experience, you know, they, uh, they go to the hospital and they get somebody grumpy. Uh, we're just kind of like, uh, we're sorry, but if they come to ours and somebody's grumpy, like we change that. We change that workflow. We change their white, we, we change their wait time. We change, we have that power to change it, which is huge. And I think, um, one of the things I didn't think about earlier is that for PAs or nurse practitioners is urgent care walk-in clinics, no matter your specialty, it provides access, it widens the funnel and they're right there on site and it generates income in a whole new way um, that can be very helpful for the practice because that's just one less emergency work in that it's not, it's urgent, but not an emergency. And it usually doesn't, those things usually patients in orthopedics, sometimes they just want to x-ray to know they're not broken. They're, like, they're so worried they're broken and they're not, um, or they just need to be reassured or you know, sometimes people, they need an MRI and we get them the MRI and they they get diagnosed, you know, you know, a week faster because they went to our urgent care clinic. They got the MRI and they saw our doctor instead of seeing the doctor for the first time and then waiting on the MRI, like really just improves the whole patient experience. And it's another way to use providers, mid-level providers, extenders, and then also generate ancillaries and widen the funnel and just overall patient experience. And it's so many positives. It almost seems like, have, putting, sorry, yeah, putting putting a filter on your funnel. (laughs) Yeah. Like you don't even have to, like you already have all that there. Like they literally just have to have one, a room. Like there's not, you have to have it on your website. You can put it on your Facebook page and you have to have them. Or if you have, that's another thing too. Like if you have a new MP or PA that you're having made their party, they could be part of your urgent care clinic and you just have the urgent care. Like while somebody's, you know what I mean? Like 
that's a way for them to start generating income earlier. They can go spend all the time getting all the information. And a lot of times we can very quickly figure out what's going on. Um, and they've done the time of listening to the patient, getting all the information needed, but while they're ramping up, that can be a way to help you cover their income too. Completely agree. Cause, um, I can tell you like for a, a very quick example, like if someone needs, uh, their gallbladder out and my nurse practitioner sees them, they've checked in my nurse practitioner sees them. She verifies all their history and, um, she does a physical exam, um, identifies anything that, that needs attention. She comes to me saying, I've looked at the images, you know, um, the story is consistent with this. I think they need their gallbladder out. And I walk in and I spend about, you know, a few minutes explaining the surgery, answer questions, give them a handout that I've spent some time on beforehand. And, you know, I leave that visit and I don't do the note, I co-sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the amount of time that that visit used to take is now like this short period of time, it's so much more. And really you spent your time probably bonding with the patient and creating exactly. a relationship instead of just getting facts that get entered. Yes. Exactly. And so I can go in there and, and just a real high quality short visit um, rather than a longer, less, you know, the law of diminishing returns kind of visit. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think this um, so much valuable information and in, in what you've had to offer. And I really appreciate uh, Dr. C with you coming on and sharing your experiences, because I really do think these are the lessons that we are not taught in residency. And this is going to have a huge impact on people of learning how they can improve their practices. Thank you very much for having me. For more information about the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.